All right. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Hey, how many of you glad you got to come to church today and hear the Doobie Brothers? <laughs> Wasn't that awesome? Listen, I love this place. Like, some of you go, wow, can you have this much fun in church? Yeah, you should, right? I mean, this should be the happiest place on earth. Disney doesn't have anything on us. And so I'm glad. That's right. Come on. We should celebrate that. I'm so thankful for our creative arts team. How would you like to have to speak after that? Like, how do I top that? You know, I'm just going to drop the mic, like right now, and just walk off. That was awesome. Hey, we're in a series called Come Alive, and look at your neighbor and say, Come Alive. All right? Some of you need that after the rain this morning because you woke up and you were like, oh my gosh, I am dead, okay? So I'm glad that you're here today. This is going to be a fun day in the life of our church. Already this morning, God has done some amazing things. You know, I, I so appreciate what my wife said just a few moments ago. We had 16 teenagers give their life to Christ here Wednesday night in this room, okay? Like, our student pastors, they are tearing it up, and I'm so thankful for them, for Cameron and for Chris and for their teams. We have phenomenal leaders. Like, the, the funnest thing for me was coming in here Wednesday night and seeing all these adults working with all these students. And listen, if you're like, if your battery's like half wet and you need to get supercharged, you need to show up and work on Wednesday nights with these students. It is amazing. Okay? It is awesome. Some of those leaders know what I'm talking about. So we're in this series called Come Alive, and we've been talking about how God wants to change us so that we can go change the world. And so week one, we talked about the Holy Spirit. And we said basically that God has called us to be dynamically different because as a believer, he's put the Holy Spirit in us. Like there's no way that Jesus coming into our lives and the Holy Spirit invading our lives that we can just stay the same. Like we are dynamically different. And that part of that difference is we're to go out and we're to be witnesses to the world. And that's a huge, huge thing. Last week, we talked about how God has people in our lives. Remember, it's not about what we know, it's about who we know. And these people that are in our lives are the who's in our life, okay? And it's been really awesome because some of you, you've been sharing your who's with us this week. You say, hey, one of my who's is my neighbor. One of my who's is my friend. One of my who's is my husband. And you're praying for these people, and you're looking for opportunities. And so last week we talked about these men that literally they could have gone to the crowds, but they went to this one guy and they walked by him and they dropped the name of Jesus on him. And Jesus changed the guy's life. The guy was not the same after that. Like literally he came alive. And we said, how awesome is it that God makes us alive so that we can help others come alive? And that's an important thing. But today, we're going to kind of go head kind of in a new road today, because as we go through this series, there's different snapshots of this, this thing that we see in Acts, this movement that's happening that cause us to ask some questions. And here's one question this week as I was thinking about this series, I was thinking about this specific message. Don't all of us in our life want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves? I mean, think about it. We give to organizations that say, hey, if you do this, we'll change the world. Or we go serve in organizations, and they're great organizations where we look at them and they say, hey, by you doing this, we're making a difference here. I think everybody in our society wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. In fact, I believe every one of you. I think one of the reasons that you're here today is you want to discover God's greater purpose for your life, Right? I mean, it's more than just waking up and smelling coffee every day. But by the way, the coffee smells really good at my house. And I'm thankful for my coffee maker. But I will tell you this, it's greater than that. It's greater than just the activities that we involve our life in, right? That we put our life around. I mean, it's greater than college football. 
That's a big deal for me. We all want to be a part of something that's greater than ourselves. Don't we all want to be a part of something that when we die, it will live past us? I mean, I can't imagine being on my deathbed and and laying there thinking about my life and going, wow, it all ends right here. I hope that when I die, like what I did and what I stood for lives on. Like that it lives a lot longer than I lived. Whether I lived 72 years, 57 years, 85 years. We all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And how do we get to that place? How do we really come to the place in our life where it's just not about us? In fact, I want you to look at your neighbor real quick, and I want to give you the first question we got to deal with. It's not about you. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, it's not about you. All right, some of you are like, I've been waiting to tell him that for years. In fact, Sean, I have preached that message to him daily, and I've told her every week, honey, it's not about you. Okay. But here's the thing. If we're ever going to get to a place where it's not just about us, we've got to get to a place where we answer the deepest why questions of our life. Why am I still here? What is God's purpose for me that's greater than me? There's a guy named Simon Sinek. He's a business leader who basically trains corporate America, and he says this all the time. He says, people in marketing understand this, that people don't buy what you do. They don't buy how you do it. They buy why you do it. And I think it's same as true in our lives. People look at us and say, I see how you live. I watch how you do things. But they're asking a greater question. Why? Why do you do that? Who are you? What are you about? I mean, I was even thinking about this the other day. I was looking at the alphabet. Do you realize that in the alphabet, you have to get past the U to get to the Y? And I thought, God's got a great sense of humor. Because he knows for most of us, we will never get to the greater Y questions in our life until we get past ourselves. Why am I here? What is God's greater purpose for my life? How do I live a life that's bigger than me? I remember praying a prayer years ago saying, Lord, I want to impact a generation, and I want to change a culture. I want to be one of those people that they talk about, but there was this one guy who did these things, and it changed the world. I want to be that type of person. And you know what? I believe most of you do, too. I believe you don't live your lives just so you can cash the paycheck and make the car payment. I believe at the end of your days, you want to look back and answer the why question. And to get to the why, you have to get past the you because it's not about you. You know, churches, they they deal with this too. I mean, think about it. Churches, a lot of times we think, well, why does our church do this? And a lot of times churches spend most of their time focusing on the how and the what. How do we do this? What do we do here? But never answering the question, why? Why do we do this? You know, in Matthew 16... Jesus looked at his followers there, and he was telling them about the the gates of of hell not ever coming against the church. And he said, listen, these things are going to come against it, but they're not going to win because my church is greater than these things. And so you look at the word church there, and the, the word for church is the word ecclesia. It means a group of people on mission together. And you look at that, and you go, wow. Does our world really see us as believers? Like, remember what I said? A lot of times the world looks at us and they just say, you're a bunch of angry elves. 
Like you complain all the time about everything. Like all you want to do is shut everything down. Like we're nothing but the holy buzzkill for our culture, right? That's the way they see us. And so in that moment when Jesus said that, I asked myself the question, how does the world see the church? And how do some of you maybe see the church? First of all, the world sees the church as a name. Like, we're this denomination, or we're this church. And it's funny because, you know, I've been in church work long enough, people ask me all the time, well, what kind of church are you? <laughs> That's always a fun question for me, because I've been in ministry 27 years, so I always come back with, we're, we're Baptocostal Methodist. I love to confuse people. <laughs> I usually say something like, well, we swing from the chandeliers and we handle snakes at the end. It's really awesome. You should come. Check it out, man. You'll love it. Snakes, okay. They think we're a name. So they look at us and they judge us according to what name or brand we have on our church, right? The second thing they see is that we're a group of insiders. Like, for some reason, we're a group of people that will will literally get up in the morning and dress up really nice and come to a room. And, and as we gather in this room, we, we do things together and, and, and we put on our smiles. And, and so we come in and we have our, it's almost like a little social club. I mean, we have everything but the moose in the lodge, right? That's how a lot of the world sees the church. We're just a group of insiders. And they look at us from the outside and go, I like you, I don't like you. You guys are weird. I mean, that's the way they look at us. You know the other way they look at us? They look at us as a building. That we occupy real estate. I mean, if you look up the word church in Google, you know what it means? Google says a church is a building used for Christian worship. And so Google's like how the world thinks, right? So that's what the world thinks of us, that we're a building, we're a location, and many times, uh, I often think, you know, we, because of these things, we look at the church many times, and if we're not careful, we focus all of our time on trying to fix the church. I mean, think about it. I thought about this the other day. There are thousands of conferences around the world on how to fix churches. You can go to this conference, they'll teach you how to fix this. You know, you can, we're going to send you to a conference so you can learn to do funk worship. Wow. I like that. Come on. I mean, we have every flavor, every size, and, and, and I just want to say this, guys, listen, we need to quit trying to fix the church, and we need to start trying to fix the world, okay? Because Jesus said in Matthew 16, his church is going to prevail, and the gates of hell ain't going to stand against it, and the more time that we in this room focus on trying to fix Jesus' church is less time we can spend on going out and fixing this world. Church is going to be all right. The world... They need us to come alive. And when we come fully alive, the focus won't be on fixing the church. The focus will be solely on taking Jesus to the world and letting Jesus change our world. You see, the church is a movement of people sent out to help the world come alive. That's what we are. It's a movement, it's not a monument, it's not a building. I mean, the truth is today, if, if this place literally fell to the ground, we would still exist. I was talking earlier in the last service to our LaGrange campus. They meet in a theater. And, and they're going to be there for a little while because they're growing and they're reaching new people. But in some senses, that's a great thing because when people say, well, well where's your church? <laughs> they just look around each other and go, him, her, she, him. <laughs> they don't have a building. 
And you know what? It's okay sometimes for the world to look at us and go, I don't get that because all they've seen is a name, a group of insiders, and a location. The church is a movement of people sent out to make the world, to help the world come alive. And listen, it started way before the book of Acts. We're going to talk one scripture today in the book of Acts that I think helps us live fully alive in who we are. But I want to tell you this. It started way back in the book of Genesis. I mean, Genesis chapter 12. You remember the story of Noah, how God flooded the earth because of all the evil in the world? And, and literally after the flood, he decided he had to kind of re, rebuild things. And so Abraham came on the scene. And the funny thing was, at one point in his life, he looked at Abraham and said, Abraham, you can't stay here because my plan is to change the world and make the world come alive. And so you've got to leave where you are and go to where I'm sending you. Remember that song? Children, go where I send thee. I'm going to send thee one by one. Okay, some of you never did that. I didn't do that either, okay? But I want to tell you, I've been to some churches, they're still doing that. Lord help them. All right. Genesis 12, verse 1. Look what the Bible says. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So here's what God was doing. He destroyed the earth, and then he brings Abraham onto the scene, and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave where you are, and I want you to go out. And here's why I want you to go out. Because my redemptive plan for all of mankind can never make people come alive if it stays right here. Verse 2, he says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. See, God's plan was in the very beginning, way before Acts, that he was going to send out his people, and they were going to go into these pagan lands, and they were going to tell them about this God that loved them. And they were going to be a blessing of God to wherever they went. They were a group of people on mission sent by God. Oh, they were so much bigger than a location. They were so much bigger than a name. They were a movement. They were a movement. Listen, monuments like buildings, they just memorialize the past. But movements, they change the world. It's great to have monuments because we can look to the past and say, hey, remember when this happened? Remember, I mean, I love going and seeing things. But listen, I've never been to a monument and walked away and said, I'm going to change my world. But I want to tell you, I've been with a group of people before that I get around them, whether they're in a life group or they're like you every Sunday, and I say, you know what? God's called us to change the world. It was waiting for us to come alive. So monuments, they memorialize the past, but movements, they change the world. So Acts chapter 5, that's where we're at today. We've seen some amazing things in the last two weeks. Number one, there were these group of people that waited after Jesus left. And Jesus said, wait here until you receive power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so the day of Pentecost came, and the Holy Spirit came. Jesus left, ascended to the Father. And from that point on, anyone who believed on the name of Jesus got totally filled up with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was awesome. Like, they were unstoppable. They literally went from no power in their life to being powered up to literally go and turn their world upside down. But it didn't stop there. 
The Bible says they engaged with one another, that literally they, they began to minister to one another. And it was awesome because it went from kind of this upward connection with God to this inward connection with serving one another. But it didn't stop there. The Bible says that everywhere they went, people were meeting Jesus and lives were being changed. People were being saved daily, day after day. Life change was happening. I mean, literally within the first four chapters of the book of Acts, we see a couple thousand people who believed on the name of Jesus. And remember, when Jesus left, he only left it with a handful of men. He said, I want you to go make disciples. And they did. But it didn't stop there. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 5 that the movement that God was doing with these believers had gotten so crazy that the religious establishment got upset about it, which I find very funny because you think about it that the culture didn't care as much as the religious people cared. The people that had something to lose suddenly got threatened (laughs) and they called them in and they said, why are you speaking in this name of Jesus stuff? And Peter and John and the others, they're just like, hey, we can't help but just talk about what Jesus, like we've been with him. I mean, remember what it says there in, in, in Acts or chapter 4? It says that they were unschooled and they were ordinary men. They had been with Jesus. And by the way, I just want to say this. When you've been with somebody, like really been with somebody, the world's going to take notice. They're going to look at you and say, why are you different? I was at a store this, this weekend and this guy walked up to me and he was showing me a piece of furniture, and he showed me this table, and he said, you see this table? It's made of uh, acacia wood, uh, the, the wood that they used on the ark in the Bible. <laughs> Suddenly, who is waiting? Am I willing? Holy Spirit said, Sean, here's your moment. I said, that's awesome. What do you know about that story in the Bible about Noah? I didn't tell him who I was. And we just began this conversation that led to a conversation about Jesus. And man, I just want to tell you guys, listen, it's not about what you know that changes you. It's about who you know. And so for like 30 minutes, I began to tell this guy about Jesus and how, and that's exactly what these guys did here. They were so moved by being with Jesus, everybody knew it. So Peter and John, they get in front of all these religious leaders and they're telling them, hey, listen, you got to stop this. Like, if you don't stop this, we're going to kill you. Back in those days, the Jews would stone people. So they basically said, if you don't stop this, we're going to take you outside and we're going to stone you to death. And I like what Peter said. He said, we must obey God rather than human beings. Boom! I like that moment. Take that. And then there's this one guy. In fact, the Bible says his name was Gamaliel. And he was a super religious leader. Like, he was super smart theologically. And he walked into all these... Sanhedrin people who were so uprooted over what was happening in the disciples' lives. And he looked at them and he said, listen, guys, there was a time a few years back that there were a group of men like this. And they began an uprising over something. And it just kind of died out because it wasn't for real. And here's what he said to the Sanhedrin. He said, listen, if this thing's for real and it's of God, you can't stop it. I find that to be very intriguing. I think our culture is waiting for a movement of people who live unstoppable lives. 
And then we get to verse 42. If you have your Bible, Acts 5, 42. Listen to what the Bible says. Day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, you can just stop right there and just take that in for just a second. I mean, there's three crazy things that he says right there. First of all, it was an everyday experience. It says day after day. It was a 24-7 experience. Here's what you would have never heard from those guys. Hey, are you going to go to church on Sunday? (laughs) Because church happened every day and now. Like now, and then now, and then and then now. <laughs> and some of you are like, man, I don't know if I can make it this week. <laughs> Dude, they every day, day after day, it would not stop. Listen, the world is waiting for us to come alive, and when we come alive, it will not be a once-a-week experience. It will be day after day after day. Movements that change the world, they don't change the world only one day a week. They change the world every single day. They were on mission. They were urgent every day. And then it says that engaged the culture. In other words, it happened in the temple courts. That was the center of all the public life. And so people would bring all these things to the, to the temple courts and, and they would talk and they would discuss and they would philosophize and they would do business. And, and all of this stuff would happen right at kind of the, the temple courts. So in other words, it was an everyday experience that engaged the culture. They didn't stay over here and say, hey, we've got to get together and have our seven and let's hang out here and, and let's get really, really deep and really, really strong. And then somehow we might actually do something for somebody else. No, no, no that's not all they're talking. They ran to the culture. They didn't run from the culture. They ran to it. They were in the temple courts every single day. And then what it says, it says that spread it through relationships. They went from house to house to house to house. Group of people, group of people, group of people. It was unstoppable. How did they do it? I mean, they didn't even have Twitter. They had no email blast that they could send out saying, hey, you 50, meet us here. It was day to day. It engaged the culture. It was from house to house. You see, How can I understand and live with that same purpose? Because Jesus has made me come alive. Here's the thing you need to know today. Number one, we grow as we go. Not the other way around. These guys, we know they were unschooled and they were ordinary. I mean, they didn't have a lot of huge education. I mean, Peter was a fisherman. If you wanted to talk fish, he was your man. But if you wanted to talk about, you know, the the 50 tenets of Deuteronomy, I mean, he's not your guy. He wasn't the guy that was going to sit in the temple and talk about heavy Levitical law. (laughs) He was going to tell you, I was fishing. I met this guy named Jesus. He said, stop fishing, Peter. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And we went. That's all I got. I mean, he wouldn't get hired at any church. He didn't have enough experience. They would look at him and say, hey, dude, your degree's in the wrong thing. (laughs) He was in fishery. He had a master's in fishery. No one else cared. And you know what? Peter didn't care either. We grow 
as we go. Listen to this. We come alive on the inside when we go outside, not the other way around. You see, we were never meant to stay inside the four walls of a church. We were never meant to live inside. We were meant to go outside. How do I know this? Because God kind of wired us with these these vital connections in our life. The first one is an upward connection, that we have a relationship with him. The second is this inward connection, that I need you, that I need community in my life, that I need people. Like, I can't live the Christian life in solo, okay? I need you, and you need me. But if we stop there, we miss one of the components that makes our world come alive. There's an outward connection. Why? Because we grow as we go. You see, if we're not careful, our upward and inward life can be stunted by our lack of living outward. And these guys understood that. They didn't stay in upper rooms. They left those rooms and they went out into the culture. See, here's my, here's my goal for you. I want to rescue you from a 4% faith. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, 4%. All right, so here, here's the equation, okay? I was thinking about this the other day, and as a, as a pastor and a communicator, this is very daunting for me. This caused me to get in the fetal position and suck my thumb for about three hours, okay? If you come every single week to hear me speak, that is on average 40 minutes a week. There's 168 hours in your week. 4%. So here's what we do. We come to church because we need our spiritual pep rally, okay? We walk in, and we're like, hey, man, you need to make me feel good today because I need to leave this place, and I need some hope, okay? And so you leave here, and I've given you my best 4%. But that 4% can't make the world come alive until you go. See, as a communicator, you think, oh my gosh, I pray and and get before God and read the scriptures and study and I do all this preparation. I'm like, God, why in the world do I do this? Am I crazy? Okay, I mean, why? And the Lord says, Sean, tell him to go. You were never meant to stay inside. You were meant to live outside in this culture. We grow as we go. Can I get an amen? That's it, folks. You know what else? We change the culture when we engage it. We change the culture when we engage it. Now, here's what's funny, because with the recent things that have happened in our culture, people have asked me, like, when are you going to make a statement about X? When are you going to talk publicly about Y? Listen, here's the deal. We were never meant to run from the culture. Doesn't matter how crazy or how bad it gets. We were never meant to run away from it. We were meant to go engage it. See, it's kind of like this. I love swimming pools. Anybody like a swimming pool? I love a beautiful swimming pool, by the way. They're beautiful. But here's the deal. Most of us, here's our Christian life. We want to be a part of a beautiful swimming pool. So here's what we do. We come to church, and we're like, hey, I'm going to this church because they got a beautiful swimming pool. Have you seen their high dive? Have you seen the furniture that they set around that pool? Hey, did you know who's in that pool right now? Hey, hey, did you know who's running lifeguard at that pool? And so we come to the church and we kind of go like, hey, I'm here because, man, this, this swimming pool, it meets my need. And I was thinking about this a few years ago. 
what if all of our Christian life was just like a swimming pool? And our whole goal was, hey, we need to get more people in the pool. You, jump in the pool. You, get in the pool. Hey, go get her and throw her in the pool, okay? I thought, man, these guys, that's not how they lived. You know what they were like? They weren't like a swimming pool. They were like a river. You ever just watched a river? Like, it's really cool. Like, just go out and watch a river. Here's what happens in a river. It has deep places and it has shallow places, but it has a, usually has a fresh source that's feeding it because the Holy Spirit's inside of us, amen? And so the source is going out and the river's going out and there's some deep places and there's some shallow places, but whenever one tributary dries up, another one begins and it just keeps going and it just keeps winding. And I often think that's the difference that we need to see in the church. We were never meant to stay inside. We were meant to live outside. And we have not changed our culture because we have not engaged our culture. Listen, God does not want us to be a bigger swimming pool with greater features. He wants us to be a river of life change for our community. We grow as we go and we change it as we engage it. That's why I want you to be in a life group. You say, oh, here's the sales pitch. No, no, this isn't the sales pitch. This is the why. This is why I want you to be in a life group. Do I want you to grow spiritually? Absolutely. Do I want you to have friends and be connected? Definitely. But God wants us to go and change the world. You know, if you're in a life group, one of the greatest things you could say is this. I want our life group to be in, out, up. We're going to teach each other to grow. We're going to connect with each other because we need each other. But we're not going to stay there. We're going to go because we only change our culture as we engage our culture. God doesn't want us to be a better swimming pool. He wants us to be a river of life change for this world because they're waiting for us to show them how they can come alive. Every person in this planet wants to know, is there something about my life that's bigger than me? there is his name is Jesus and it's no longer about you it's about him would you bow your heads with me today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed here today I want to tell you that there are some of you who've come in today and and here's why it's hard for you to live outside because there's never been a change inside of you we're going to talk about this more next week it's funny how every message kind of sets up the next message but the reason why there's no outside change in the culture that you live in is there's been no inside change inside of you. I want to ask you an honest question today. Can you honestly say that there's been a time and a place that you have completely given your life to Jesus and he has saved you, changed you, and you have been born again through him? Not through yourself, not your name, his name. If you've never done that today, I want to give you that opportunity before we leave. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Sean, today, right here, right now, I want to be changed on the inside by Jesus. If that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. Today, Jesus, I give my life to you. I invite you to come in to forgive my sin and to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Jesus, I give you everything today. Jesus, make me come alive. 
so that my life can make a difference.